is that I want us to uh, think about a little bit this morning. The first is that passage that was just read for us in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 9. And then the passage over in Philippians chapter 2 and verse 7. We're going to continually come back to those passages through the course of this lesson. Uh, But I want to begin... Uh, by considering a couple of other passages with you. Uh, First of all, over in 1 Timothy chapter 6, beginning in verse 10. 1 Timothy chapter 6, beginning in verse 10. If you remember, uh, these letters to Timothy are Paul's advice and his admonition and his encouragement uh, to a young preacher named Timothy. And one of his uh, encouragements to Timothy, beginning in 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 10, is this. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pains. But as for you, O man of God, flee these things. Pursue righteousness godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. The command or the the admonition that Paul gives to Timothy here is a warning about money, or in particular, uh, greed for money, the desire for it, the desire to have more and more. As a preacher of the gospel, that was important. Because he needed to be someone who was all in on the gospel and not all in on how much he could get out of the gospel for his own physical gain. But notice another passage with me over in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. What we find out is that this admonition and this encouragement wasn't just for Timothy. It was for everybody that Timothy was going to be preaching to as well. 2 Timothy chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, notice this, lovers of money. Proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving, good. You see, the encouragement that Paul gives to Timothy is, I don't want you to have this love of money because that's the root of all kinds of evil. That kind of greed isn't good for somebody who's there to proclaim the gospel. But one of the things I want you to proclaim to people is that there is danger in the love of money. There is danger in the desire for more and more physical things for yourself. And it's kind of interesting to me that uh, Paul warns Timothy to warn everybody else, you know, don't be so obsessed after money that it becomes a problem for you. It's interesting to me because Timothy is relying on these people for his livelihood. In essence, what Paul is telling him is don't be so after money and that you tell people, well, you go after money so that you can, you know, make my paycheck a little bit better. It's not about that at all. Paul warns Timothy to not become obsessed with money. And from a worldly perspective, that doesn't make any sense, right? The world view would be, you know, make money so I can make money. 
as a, as a preacher. God's view is don't be so obsessed with money that you don't warn other people about the dangers of obsession with physical things. So this is the message that Timothy was commanded to preach. And in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 6 and 7, we have these incredible words here from Paul. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6 and 7. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. Those are some incredible words from Paul. Don't become obsessed with money. Don't, as a gospel preacher, don't become obsessed with money. Warn those that you're preaching to, don't become obsessed with money. Because godliness with contentment is great gain. This morning I want us to look at the life of Jesus. Um, And I think we all understand that we are called to imitate our Lord. C.S. Lewis put it this way, we are called to be little Christs. In the sense that we are called to show the world Jesus through our lives. We are to be little Christ. And the world would look at us and should see Jesus. And so I think we need to ask a couple of questions. Was Jesus rich or was he poor? That's an important question because we need to see how Jesus viewed wealth and how he viewed poverty. And again, I want us to look at these couple of uh, passages before we begin looking at parts of Jesus' life. First of all, over in Philippians chapter 2 and verse 7. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 7. It says here, they're kind of picking up in the middle of a sentence, but talking about Jesus, he emptied himself. By taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. This is uh, falling right in the middle of this discussion on what the Lord's humility looked like. And here, uh, Paul says to the Philippians, our Lord emptied himself. He emptied himself of something. We're going to get back to that in, in just a little bit. But, but keep that in mind. Now flip over to our scripture reading from this morning in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 9. I think this is, this is such a beautiful uh, passage here. 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 9. This is in the middle of a section on giving and giving generously. It says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for our sake... He became poor so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. I think it's appropriate for us then to look at Jesus' life and try to understand how was he rich? How did he become poor? How does that make us rich? Let's think about that for a few moments. What does this mean, that he emptied himself, that he was rich, became poor, and now we are rich? 
Let's think about Jesus' life. We begin with that question. Was Jesus rich or was he poor? And if I were to ask you that question, I think the typical answer I would get was he was poor. Right? And scripture, I think, uh, points that out in, in many ways. First of all, he was born in poverty. And I don't point to the fact that he was, you know, born in a manger in a stable, uh, you know, because there wasn't any room. I don't think that points to his poverty. There just wasn't any room in the inns for them to be at. But if you remember, when Jesus is taken as an infant into uh, the, the temple, do you remember what Mary and Joseph had to offer there in the temple? Most people would go in there and those offerings, they'd offer some kind of cattle. But Mary and Joseph, it says that they offer birds. And that tells us something about their, uh, their physical uh, well-being at that point as far as money is concerned. At that moment, when you had to offer birds, it meant that, it meant that you were a poor person. You couldn't afford these other uh, animals that you would offer. So you brought birds because you could afford that. And so at, at the outset, they are people who are poor. They are at the temple with the baby Jesus for the first time, and they offer the birds. You think about Jesus' ministry then, fast-forwarding uh, into his 30s. We know that Jesus had no fixed home during his time as he was in ministry. You remember in Matthew chapter 8 and verse 20, that's where he talks about the foxes have holes, uh, the birds have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. He didn't have a fixed place that he lived. He counted on the generosity of others, and I'm sure, you know, as they were traveling, they had to stay out in the wilderness sometimes, out, out uh, you know, camping, basically. Maybe a little bit rougher than we, we typically view camping. And we see our Lord kind of throughout his ministry doesn't have a whole lot of anything. We see our Lord preaching from a borrowed boat. We see him multiplying borrowed food. He rides on a borrowed colt. He's buried in a borrowed tomb. And maybe sometimes we forget this, but most of his ministry was supported by a group of women. The Gospel of Luke tells us that. And so I think from these instances in his life, as we look through the story of Jesus, I think we can make a pretty good case that he was poor, that he was a poor man. But I'll tell you, the Gospels also point to his wealth, in a sense. Think about uh, some of these you think, yes, he was born in poverty, but sometimes after, sometime after Jesus was born, he got some visitors. And you remember, they brought some expensive gifts to Mary and Joseph and Jesus. I don't know how many of you have a bar of gold lying around your house, but Jesus and Mary and Joseph were given gold by these three men. They're given incense and myrrh, all of which would have been pretty expensive commodities in that time. These were actually gifts that were fitting of a king, which I think is the whole point in that story. You think about Joseph. 
Joseph, uh, once they exit Egypt and they go to the town of Nazareth, which is pretty well known to be, you know, maybe a more low-income town just because it's not a big city. It's kind of out in the wilderness somewhere. But Joseph had his own business there. He was a carpenter, it seems. And I think sometimes we have a misunderstanding about Bible economics. Carpentry really was not usually a poor man's profession. It was kind of like the village blacksmith. Everybody needed him. You needed him to build stuff. You needed him to repair stuff. And so uh, it was not usually a poor man's business. He was the guy that just about everybody needed. In fact, there's really nothing in biblical antiquity that says that that was a poor man's trade. If anything, I think it would probably be fair to say that they were somewhere around middle class in this town of Nazareth. And another clue that we could look at, you remember when uh, Joseph and Jesus and Mary all go to Jerusalem... Uh, during the time of Passover, by law, it was only the, the man of the family that was commanded to be there. He didn't have to take his family with him. But Joseph goes, you know what, let's take the whole family. That would be a fairly expensive trip. That's a few weeks trip. You've got to get the food ready for that. You've got to go there. You've got to stay somewhere in Jerusalem. In the Bible also tells us that Jesus had many wealthy friends. Joseph of Arimathea must have been an acquaintance of Jesus. After all, he's the one that Jesus borrows the tomb from after his death. You think about Nicodemus, who was more of a secret friend of Jesus, but he was a Pharisee, and the Pharisees were typically wealthy individuals. You think about Zacchaeus, who we know was a wealthy man. You think about Levi, who was one of his disciples. He was wealthy as well. He was a tax collector before he began to follow Jesus. And there are many unnamed Pharisees uh, uh, that, that followed Jesus in secret as well. You think about Luke chapter 7 and verse 34. Luke chapter 7 and verse 34 is an interesting passage because it's in contrast to the life of John the Baptist, who is well known for being a poor man. He lived out in the wilderness, he wore camel's hair, and he ate wild locusts and honey. But notice what Jesus says in Luke chapter 7 and verse 34. The Son of Man talking about himself in contrast to John the Baptist, has come eating and drinking, and you say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. In other words, what Jesus is saying, you know, you get on John the Baptist because he's this weirdo out in the wilderness uh, eating locusts and wild honey, But we don't see Jesus eating locusts and wild honey out in the wilderness. No, he feasts with people and they're getting on him for being a glutton and a drunkard. So which is it? Was Jesus rich? Or was Jesus poor? Or was he somewhere in the middle? Again, you think about Philippians chapter 2 and verse 7. He emptied 
himself. He emptied himself. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. He was rich. He became poor that by his poverty we could become rich. I think it's very easy to look at verses like that and go, I know exactly what that means. It means that Jesus was loaded in heaven. He had all the gold and he had the mansions and he had all of this incredible stuff up in heaven. And when he emptied himself, that means he gave all of that up and he came down here and he became a poverty-stricken human being. I think it's easy to look at those passages that way. But if that's our take on the verse, then what are we going to do with the part that says, we have nothing and now we're loaded? You see the point? Because I'm sure, as Paul was writing that, he wasn't going, well, now that I've come to Christ, I'm loaded with everything that I could ever imagine. I've got this, I've got this. I'm set for life, physically. I don't think Paul would necessarily have considered himself you know, physically set for life as far as the world would have considered it. He spent a lot of his time in prison. It's easy to look at those verses and think, what's happening? I thought Jesus gave up his riches so I could have riches. So I could be wealthy. Well, hold that thought. Because scripture has a lot to say about wealth. I think it's important that we understand what it says. So what does the Bible literally teach in general, about wealth and riches. Proverbs chapter 30, verses 8 through 9. I want to look at just a few verses with you. It says, Remove far from me falsehoods and lying. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. The proverb writer here is saying, I don't want poverty and I don't want riches. I just want what I, what I need, what, what the, the necessities that I need. He says, if I'm, in, if I'm in poverty, there's the danger that I'm going to begin rejecting you and begin stealing from people and profaning the name of the Lord. But if I have all this wealth, well, I might deny you. And I don't want to do that either. Luke chapter 12 and verse 15 is what Jesus had to say. Luke chapter 12 and verse 15. And he said to them, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. That lesson right there in verse 15 was shared with a guy who may very well have been suffering an injustice. If you remember that story there, a man comes to Jesus and he says, make my brother give me part of my inheritance. It may very well be that that brother had taken what wasn't his. 
But this man comes to Jesus, make him give it back to me. And you know what Jesus' response is to that? Not my problem. Not my problem. Be careful about all kinds of greed. I think what Jesus is saying is, are you really going to risk this relationship over these possessions? Are you really going to draw other people into this? Are you really going to risk you know, causing this huge deal and causing this huge division because you feel like you haven't gotten what you deserve? There's a lot of applications in that. Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 21, where Jesus warns us about storing up treasures on earth. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. What Jesus is teaching about is the danger of trying to hold on to something that just really doesn't have any eternal value. Trying to to grab it and hold on to it with everything we've got. Jesus says, don't do that. I'm warning you about that. What you need to do is grab on to what is going to store up treasures in heaven for yourself. And then finally, what I think is one of the, the saddest stories in the Bible, in Matthew chapter 19 and verse 23, where Jesus has this discussion with the rich young ruler. And the rich young ruler is like, I've done all of these things. And Jesus says, well, if you want to enter the kingdom of heaven, give your possessions to the poor. And that young man, oh, he was so close. He just couldn't give it up. He clung to them with everything that he had. And at the end of that, Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I think that touches back on Proverbs 30, verse 9. Don't make me so rich that I deny you. It's easy to do that. So let's put all of this together then. We think about those two verses that we began with in Philippians and 2 Corinthians. Are those passages talking about material riches? Is this talking about Jesus having all of this physical wealth in heaven where he was just loaded and giving it all up to be a poor man in a poor village, and, and he did it all so that, so that we, his people, could be physically Rich Is that the point of this, of those passages? I don't think so. I don't think so. Because if Jesus literally did all of that to make us physically rich, then he would be giving us exactly what he's been warning people about. He'd be giving us exactly what he warned about when he taught be giving us exactly what Proverbs warns against. Why would he lead us into that temptation? 
And I don't think he would. And the question is, would Jesus define rich the way we would define rich? When we look in the world and we, we see rich people and we go, man, look at his car, look at his house, look at what he wears. That's what makes this guy rich. That's how I can distinguish whether this man is rich or this woman is rich or poor. And that impresses us. And we shouldn't, you know, think it doesn't impress us. I mean, I'm driving down the car and, or down the road, and I see a nice car, and Olivia goes, well, you're looking at that car better than you look at me. Well, we're impressed by stuff like that. Does that impress Jesus? Is that how Jesus would really define rich? Think of it like this. You remember the story of the rich man and Lazarus? You got the rich man who's just got about everything, and Lazarus who has absolutely nothing. He is poverty stricken, he is a beggar. And the rich man does nothing for him. In fact, he just kind of wants to get him out of the way. But when life ends for those two men, there is a role reversal. Because that rich man is now the beggar. And he looks up into heaven and he begins begging. Come on, send him down here. I need some relief. Send him down here. If you can't send him down here, send him to my brothers so they don't make the same mistake that I did. At the end of that story, who was rich and who was poor? Was it the rich man or was it Lazarus? And Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, Blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Wow. Wow. Are we beginning to see how Jesus views rich and poor? Jesus puts it this way in a very somber way in Mark chapter 8, verse, verses 36 and 37. Mark chapter 8, verses 36 and 37. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? Do you see where Jesus places value? It isn't on how much money somebody makes. It isn't on that nice car that catches your eye on the highway. It isn't in the house or the clothes or whatever it might be that you can buy. That's not where Jesus places value. It's the soul. And in this comparison, we have the soul and the world. You you gain the world, you lose the soul. Think about how many riches are in the world. You know, it's almost mind-boggling, probably, how much money is actually in the world, all the things that we could have. Jesus says, you could gain all of that, and if you lose your soul, you've gained nothing. And you've lost everything. 
You think about what your most valuable possession is. It isn't that grandfather clock that sits in the corner. It isn't, you know, the antique car or the, or the you know, gold jewelry in your safe. It's your soul. That is the most valuable thing that each and every one of us possesses. Brothers and sisters, our soul and its condition is what makes us rich or poor. The way that Jesus views wealth. We brought nothing into this world and we won't take anything out of it except what? Our souls. So think about those passages through Jesus' view of wealth. 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 9. He became, he left riches, he became poor. So that by his poverty, we can become rich. How did Jesus become poor? Through his humility. That's what Philippians teaches us. It was his humility. He emptied himself of any kind of prestige that he had. He was God. We need to get that in our head. He was God. And he never played the God card. And there were opportunities for him to play the God card. Boy, if I had been him, I would have played the God card right there on the cross. I'm done with this. He never did that. He was humble. And our Lord was able to mingle with both the rich and the poor throughout his ministry. And 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 9 speaks there to the generosity of the Christians that they were to have. And Paul reminds them to be generous because ultimately there is only one way to become rich. And it's the same way that Jesus told that rich young ruler. Place no value on these physical things. Give it away. They don't have any value. Of course, the Bible teaches us to be wise in how we, how we go about this. But this is how we become rich. Place no value on what we have. It's only when we value our souls and our, and our physical wealth through the eyes of Jesus that we truly then become rich. The admonition then is be generous. Be generous. You can't take it with you. Be wise, but be generous. There's no ultimate value in your your wealth anyway. And what are we doing? What are we doing when we are generous? We are living out what our Lord exemplified for us. He emptied himself. He became poor in spirit. Although he was rich, he had everything. For you and for me, he gave everything. All so that we could learn what true riches are all about. What true wealth is all about. It's the soul that makes us rich. And it's the condition of our souls that makes us rich. In fact, the heart that is so consumed with Jesus, with passion for God, the heart that is so consumed with him can pray what we talked about last Sunday night. The Lord is my shepherd. What? I shall not want. I don't need anything else. I've got God. I've got my soul. 
and it's all his. That's why Paul could tell Timothy, godliness with contentment is great gain. So let me ask you this morning, are you rich or are you poor? Are you rich or are you poor? Can I suggest to you that where you have placed your priorities will answer that question for you? Where you place all the emphasis in your life will answer that question for you. If you emphasize physical wealth and physical things, and I point this out because we live in America and it's a temptation. We live in the land of plenty. But if we emphasize physical wealth and things over our souls, we are poor. We are poverty stricken. This is what I'd like to ask all of you to do this afternoon, and I'm going to do it myself. Go home and take stock of your life. Take stock of where your priorities are. I have to do that too. In fact, I would suggest it's something we need to do on a daily basis. Take stock of where you are. Take stock of where you put all of your time and all of your energy into. Has that become more important than God and your soul to you? And then ask the question, are you rich or are you poor? To be poor is a scary place to be. And if you're not a Christian this morning, that is the sad reality of your soul. You haven't valued it enough. You haven't placed value on your soul above everything else. And so you are poor. You can have all the money in the world. And if you haven't come to Jesus and given yourself to him, you are still poor. But you can change that this morning. If you understand what you need to do, if you understand that Jesus is the Son of God and that you need to serve Him with everything you've got, you can become rich. That's why He came. That's why He came. So that by His poverty, you can become rich. If you're a child of God this morning, I will, I will tell you I've wrestled with this in my life. I'd imagine that all of us have. The world wants to tell us that what's valuable in life is throwing everything you have into getting more and more. I'll just tell you that's not true. In fact, the more and more you go after, the less and less you have. Place your emphasis on God, and if you struggle to do that, we want to help you to rededicate yourself to becoming rich. Rich in the way that Jesus views it. If you have any need this morning, we ask that you come forward as we stand and as we sing together.